0: Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well. So, for followers of Premier League sides or Championship sites, you are back to the week in, week out of domestic football as international football takes a break until next month. Unless you follow the women's game, Uh, but a little more on that later In this episode. But yes, England's senior men are now next in action next month when we take on Australia on Friday, the 13th of October, in a friendly. And a few days later, Tuesday, the 17th, against Italy, which is a qualifier for Euro 2024. That, I suspect, will be quite an interesting game. Let's hope we can get some sort of revenge. On Italy uh, on home territory both of those are of course at Wembley I'm um, unsure if there are still tickets available you may have to go check out the website uh, I think it's the fa.com or the Wembley website thank you very much for the many kind comments on the review episode of Ukraine and Scotland very much appreciated I'd like to hope it gave a small flavour of what it was like being there for both games. For me, it's, it's not always about the football away trips like these. And like many others, it's as much about seeing and exploring another city, either a new one or, or one that's slightly familiar. So I hope it came across that way. Now, on to this episode... Uh, I know plenty of listeners like a good book to get stuck into. Here is a recommendation for you to get your teeth into. Now, who wants to go on a trip down memory lane? What were you doing? 17 years ago, the summer of 2006 to be precise. Queen Elizabeth II celebrated her 80th birthday. The BBC announced that they would be phasing out grandstand. And Niles Barkley was top of the charts for 11 weeks with Crazy. Uh, It was also the year of the 18th FIFA World Cup to be held in Germany. I'm delighted to say I am joined by Michael Galway, author of the book, Golden Generations, the story of the 2006 World Cup. Hello, Michael.
1: Hi, Russell. How are you doing today? I'm
0: very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, all good today. Been a good day. Good stuff. Yeah. The book I have in front of me, great book, Golden Generations, the story of the 2006 FIFA Men's world cup it's a world cup that that i remember it's a world cup that i went to Uh, i didn't see any england games in person but a quite a memorable world cup what what brought you to writing a book about it
1: i think i this is the thing i always go with this was my first world cup this was the one that really cemented my love of football i was 10 years old i was at that perfect age for a summer of football on free television. You spent all sort of, all leagues, football league season, trying to catch highlights where you could. The World Cup was just this moment of, here's everything. Just binge yourself on football (laughs) for a month. And what's not to love about that? Absolutely. And so the idea of it was just, always wanted to write a book. Always wanted to write a book about football. And where better to go down the memory lane Take myself back to that time, that innocence of youth, and just immerse myself back in that time. And it was brilliant to do. It's yeah, no, it's, it's exactly the way that I I feel about
0: my first World Cup, and and I guess I'm giving my age away here, but uh, 1990, uh, and I, it's exactly what you say, like the summer school holidays, uh, football on from midday until. 9:10 in the evening obviously if it's a a european um tournament getting to see all these players and i'm kind of thinking that 2006 is is almost probably the time or the last time where there were players that maybe you were aware of but you you didn't get like full access to overseas players as it were because YouTube wasn't it may have been around at the time but it, it certainly wasn't as as big as what it is now.
1: No I definitely agree with that I think I know sort of family members who are the same age I I was then and they know more than I do about who's playing at the World Cups nowadays Yeah, and it's everything's available you've obviously the huge rise of like FIFA as well as the video game or yeah. it's not FIFA now is it those kind of things that access to highlights all over social media all over YouTube and I remember going into it and being just so amazed at how many great players there were that I'd never heard of and you're just like oh my god how much more football can there be (laughs) how much more can I go and find and then you just go looking and looking and you end up with a lifelong obsession.
0: (laughs) Absolutely yeah It, it was a World Cup that whilst it's the the same principles as it is now it it was so different. No, no VAR, no masses of additional time, no drinks breaks. There was fan zones for the first time within the the German cities. Um, and it was a it was a real hot European summer, this one.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's going back and looking and trying to sort of read articles from the Times and sort of stuff like that and get the impression from people. And you'll be able to speak to it yourself. as you said you were there. It just seemed like a great summer of fun. It was, I believe the tournament motto was a time to make friends. And I think the impression I got is definitely that that's what happened. It was just this open, loving vibe. Everyone was having a great time. The weather, proper heat wave. You had fan zones, like you said. And so you have people going that were just there for just being their sake. didn't necessarily have a ticket to go to a game. You were just there for, maybe a bit of culture in the daytime, a little sort of experience in German city and then a few beers, watch the games and just immerse yourself in, in that different culture. And I think it was just a huge win for, for Germany as well as a huge win for football at the time. Yeah.
0: I mean, there were 64 matches in this World Cup and, and the way you've written the book is you've broken down each group uh, group by group, and and gone through each game, game by game, um, sort of filtering out how the teams progressed into the the knockout rounds. I mean, did, have you gone back and, and rewatched every
1: single game? I did. Did and you really? <laughs> I did. I, I found I found a full rec- full match of every game. Not always with English commentary, which made it a little bit more challenging to sort of follow along. But yeah, I went back and I sat through, and do you know what? It was brilliant. <laughs> There's some games, kind of you know, which I could have skipped. One in particular, which we'll get to, I'm sure. One definitely (laughs) in particular, yes. But it was just you go and you just you you realise things that you'd forgotten, little moments that you sort of maybe you see clips of still, but you just those little details that you just think, oh, I remember that. You remember watching that at the time. You remember that, especially if you managed to get like a BBC coverage of it, you remembered those moments, those commentaries, those yeah. TV introductions, those little details all came flooding back. And it got to a point where it was like, oh, next one, next one. But it was, looking back, I was so glad I got to do it. Honestly, it was so much fun. Absolutely. I mean, I take my hat off
0: to you. That's, that's proper research um, <laughs> by doing game by game.
1: The research took longer than anything, and it was so much fun. It was brilliant. When did you start it? um 20 sort of may 21 oh wow and so obviously working full-time as well i yeah. sort of set myself a little bit of a longer period to do it in but all told just just under two years from agreeing to do it to final manuscript being sent in so oh, wow. it was a it was a commitment
0: i mean it's not just that you've done you have quoted various other published books and autobiographies he you, you puts the, the real he put you back into this
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I never wanted to do it and it just be half finished, a half hashed idea. I always wanted to try and delve deep because I was a child at the time. So there's loads of things that I didn't realise that happened at the time. You go you look at the controversy around Germany being named as hosts. You've got the experiences of the time, how it felt at that moment. I can't speak to as well because I I was a child watching back in England, so I only had that second almost secondhand experience. Yeah. So I wanted to go away and make sure I could find testimonies from people who were there, what the feelings were at the times, so that it just felt a bit more like it was a proper encapsulation of what had happened.
0: Well, it, it certainly comes across that way. Um I mean, there's as I say, 64 matches. We we can't touch on all of them, but um let's start with with England's group. England were in group B. Um, and sort of the, the title of the book, Golden Generations, we, we all know England's golden or the failed golden generation, really, the, the should-of golden generation. But we were pitched in a group of Sweden, Paraguay and Trinidad and Tobago, who were one of eight, I think you could class as debutants in in a World Cup tournament, which I think was a, a record in itself. Um. But, yeah, we, uh, we we scraped past Paraguay initially uh, with an early goal. It took us quite a while to to get past Trinidad and Tobago. And then Sweden was a, um, well, it was a draw, but it had so much more with it with Michael Owen injuring himself so early and Joe Cole scoring a screamer.
1: Yeah, it was such an odd group in a way of... England should really have won all three games. It should have been comfortable. It should have been a nice ease into the tournament and go from there. And it definitely started that way. I think I didn't sort of realise, obviously, England's first goal against Paraguay is four or five minutes into the game. It's straight away. But it was after that, it was just like they decided, okay, we'll just stop now. We'll just see what happens from here. And they just looked lecky almost and obviously at the end of a long season baking hot sun so that can be sort of expected a little bit but it just never it never felt like despite that almost favorites tag that England had that ultimate golden generation time for England the group stage just all it felt like such a anti-climax for them like you say Paraguay was a scrape Trinidad and Tobago was somehow even worse with a goal that the first goal doesn't count nowadays, I think, in the days of VAR, does yeah, it? Certainly
0: VAR would scrape that mm-hmm. one off.
1: Absolutely. And I just you look at the clips and think, how has that been missed? It's just such an obvious pull of the hair. He yes. uses him as a like a ladder. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and so England just looked so out of shapes. And then I remember watching that first half against Sweden back, and they looked amazing. They were on top of that game. It was brilliant to watch. And then exactly the same thing happened again second half they just fell away and it felt almost symptomatic of England at the time almost just never quite there despite having a squad of amazing players yeah and i think i think they went in as sort of bookmakers second favourites roughly i think it was i don't think it stayed that way based on performance
0: well we we scraped through we progressed and we'll we'll touch on where we got to um in a moment for those that maybe aren't aware the one thing I found with this book I was constantly going to YouTube for it because you would describe something describe something and I would go right quick on YouTube it, to be honest I think it should be on the blurb this book mm-hmm. will have you reaching for YouTube or something yeah and and the The main thing, I think, was from Group C. Um, And to be honest, I'd forgotten about this. Argentina were in Group C and they played Serbia and Montenegro. And they had a, you could say, a golden generation of their own um, to come. But a goal scored against Serbia and Montenegro was fantastic. Do you want to talk us through that?
1: I mean, I think this... This might be my all-time, one of my all-time favourite goals. It's just, it's so simple in its execution. It starts, Argentina have the ball in their own half, simple passing. And you're just watching this develop going, okay, one pass, two pass, three pass. And it just keeps going. And you're thinking there's got to be a mistake, a missed touch, an overhit pass, something. And it never is. And it's so simple, short passing. And then it's like 23 passes later, it gets to right to the edge of the, the Serbian penalty area. And then it's quick one touch, quick one touch. They go around four players in two passes and Esteban Cambiasso fires into the roof of the net for a 26 pass move goal. It's it's really hard to do it justice with words. Yeah, And I think, I think I made that note in the book of go to YouTube, even if it's to watch it for the hundredth time like it was for <laughs> me. If it's the first time you'll have ever seen it, it's... It's brilliant. It's just, there's so many good goals in this tournament. I think, as you mentioned, Joe Coles against Sweden was iconic. You have so many great goals, but this is, it's a different kind of goal. It's just such clever teamwork, never any panic. And then everything just at that final minute just kicks up into sixth gear and it's one touch around the edge of the box and bang. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, uh, I think it was in... From from the first pass to the the ball hitting the net was I think about fifty six seconds, and the only thing I can sort of compare it with, and and whilst this comparison didn't last as long, Brazil's I think it was the Brazil's goal in the nineteen seventy World Cup, which oh, I can't even remember who it was against. I don't even think it was against England, was it? But they they passed it, I passed it around, and ended with a player smashing it in from an angle.
1: So that's the goal um,
0: against Italy, the Carlos yeah, Alberto goal. That's right. But it's just intricate passing. Um, yep. It's marvellous. Go and check it out on on YouTube. There was other groups. Group D featured Portugal, and, and we took Golden Generations, Figo, Ronaldo, Deco. Who else have we got? Brazil, of course, were um, everyone's favourites, I think, at the time. They they were the holders, in fact, weren't they, after winning it in, winning it in 2002 in Japan? Um, they were in with Australia, Croatia and Japan. Um, in fact, I think it was Brazil's game against Australia, which was quite spicy, wasn't it? Um, it was, the
1: Croatia-Australia, it was Croatia-Australia game. Croatia, I beg your the... pardon.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That was a um, an interesting game it? that, that yeah. came alive in the last couple of minutes.
1: Exactly. And I just think part of these, these are the memories that came back for me of I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it since is a player getting three yellow cards before being sent off? Yeah. How that, I mean the story behind it is I think the um the Croatian defender was born in Australia and so he had an Australian accent. So when when Graham Paul the referee is taking the name down for the first yellow card he's just noting it as Australian because he's heard the voice which is unbelievably funny to watch and then after the whistle he manages to talk himself into a red card it's Completely chaotic, and it's just part of them fun memories that you have looking back. Yeah,
0: I remember Graham Paul, Or he was in the he was in the news quite a lot following that, and uh, I th- I think he was sent home early once FIFA had realised his error. There, <laughs> another golden generation came in Group C: the French, Henri, Vieira, Ribery, Trezeguet, Zidane, um, of course. Group H had Spain. Uh, against Ukraine, Tunisia, and Saudi Arabia, um Spain like um Argentina was a an early golden generation Xavi Iniesta Torres Fabregas who would who would of course lift the world cup 4 years later but then we we moved into the knockout rounds which again England were were pitched against a, a South American opposition Ecuador and they kind of carried on as they had throughout the uh, the group games, hadn't they?
1: Yeah, it was exactly the same, more of the same. I think this was sort of the first time we ever saw a non four four two like in a re- any real sense, which was a very bizarre sort of turn away from the, the the form books. It was Owen Hargreaves playing at right back. It was Michael Carrick. It was six midfielders, and almost necessity Owen's injury. The lack of out-and-out strikers in the squad with only Rooney and Crouch, with obviously Walcott as a 17-year-old there to almost work experience, it seemed like. Make up on... the numbers,
0: wasn't it? Very strange yeah. selection.
1: I Obviously, I don't really remember the selections happening. But looking back, you had Jermaine Defoe, Andy Johnson, who both come off great goal-scoring seasons as an option, especially if one of your strikers isn't fit in Rooney, because Rooney went in as an injury doubt. But again, it just seemed more of the same until, obviously, England's main captain, the the great free kick taker that is, David Beckham, stepped up and sort of dragged England over the line yeah. at personal cost to himself, because I think there's the, uh, there's that moment towards the end of the game before he goes off where he's throwing up on the side of the pitch due to yeah. sheer exhaustion. It's it's almost symptomatic of how much he had to carry England at certain times.
0: And And you kind of think, with that particular incident... I mean, the the German heat wave at the time was was incredible. It's taken us, I think, it was took until the last World Cup, the Qatar World Cup,
1: to introduce drinks breaks. Yeah, it almost seems just a really <laughs> illogical idea. Just yeah. have a minute, get a drink of water, and go back on it. For how much stoppage time and how much wasted time we have anyway, we may as well. You we may as well have just done it ten years earlier.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, Let's touch on the uh, one of the other games, Switzerland-Ukraine, um, which you uh, you endured for your research. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you're not aware of this particular game, let's just say FIFA described it as a scrappy affair, devoid of any highlights, and the Swiss were eliminated without conceding a goal. Oh, I mean, I I'm sure I watched it at the time because, like you, it was like the football's on the telly. I'm watching it. How I endured it, I've no idea. How you endured it again?
1: <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you how I sat through that. It's two hours of no no attacking intent, no shots. I think the first three penalties get missed in the shootout and you're like, oh, this is this is awful. It was just, I, I'm, I'm not sure what happened, to be honest. I, unless I'm mistaken, I believe when Match of the Day did their highlights package in them around the 16 games, I, I believe they didn't show any of the normal time or extra time. They just went, we're just going straight to penalties. Wasn't worth it. It was yeah. no intent. It was two teams very much playing for that penalty shootout, I think.
0: Well, it was um, the Ukraine in their debut World Cup that um, went through 3-0 on penalties. Uh, another interesting uh, matchup was Italy against Australia, which is a game, I think, to this day, the Aussies still resent that game don't they
1: and they've got every reason to as well if when you watch that pe- penalty decision get made it's it's an awful decision and I don't in the in the research you sort of Andre Pirlo's autobiography uh Totti's autobiography they all agree I don't think anyone has any doubts that the Australians should have at least got to extra time yeah and they were in that game as well they they gave Italy a really good scare and then dubious refereeing decisions. I think went Italy's way as compared to four years earlier when they didn't.
0: Yes. Yeah. Against uh, South Korea, wasn't it at the yeah. um, 2002 World Cup? I so we can't we can't touch on on all the games, which is a uh, a good excuse for to uh, to go out and buy the book. Let's let's move on to the the quarterfinals. There was a matchup between Germany and Argentina, um, which is a. Uh, a game though has quite a history anyway doesn't it
1: yeah it's a it's a, they usually meet in a final I think that's yes. the, the impression I got I think it was always meeting in finals it was two huge historic nations I think the pre-match seemed to be Germany as this upstart team brilliantly energetic hosts having a great time Argentina looked like the best team there and it's played that way a little bit, but it also was a bit of a, a bit of a scrappy game as well. Argentina almost uh, threw that one away as well with dubious decisions by managers, shall we say. Right. I think um, they were sort of 1-0 up, in control, and then the, the coach decided to take off Raquel May. And I think if you're trying to keep control of a game, you want Raquel May on the pitch. He was just so in control of the ball. He saw everything and took him off and then it all fell apart.
0: Yeah, ended in a draw and Germany went through on penalties. Uh, let's let's come to England. Two years before, they'd been knocked out by Portugal in Euro 2004 um, in Portugal. Um, Scolari in charge that time. Scolari in charge again when we met Portugal. Wow. No Deco, no costatina, uh, Costina um, for Portugal this time. Beckham went off injured. And then there was the uh, the incident, infamous incident with Rooney and and Ronaldo, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, and I think that's the one everyone always remembers, isn't it? It's it always feels like when England feel like they should they should get over that hump again, something happens. You've got Beckham in ninety eight. There's the Seaman mistake in two thousand and two, and then this one is Rooney's, and it's it's such a stupid moment. Yeah. You watch it; it's so obvious what he's done. It's it's frustration. That's all it is. He's been niggled out all game. He's carrying injuries and he's still that impetuous youngster that he was at the time. And it's just, it's such a blatant, just a little stamp, isn't it? And you just wonder what if, Yes. what if he just went, I oh, forget it. And then that could have been it. That could have been that moment. That could have been Rooney's moment for England. Yeah. And I think, cause I think, If you think about Rooney's England career, I think that's all you remember. That's the biggest thing that comes to mind is it's harsh to say, but did he cost England that World Cup? And it's such a shame. Yeah.
0: Of course, it it ended on penalties. Lampard, Gerrard, Carragher um, all missed. Ronaldo, of course, would score. Eriksen resigned and uh, England were on their way home and Portugal progressed through. One other, or the the other game in the quarterfinals, um, Brazil against France, a rematch of the '98 final, which I didn't realise was Ronaldinho's last ever Brazilian game, aged just 26.
1: What happened it's really, there? It's really bizarre. So he just sort of, it's almost like that's the peak moment of his career. He was he was the reigning Ballon d'Or holder at the time. It was like everything had got to that point where it was like, well, I can only go downhill from here. So what's the point? I know, I think he, I think he played one game as like an exhibition that never really accounted again. Right. And he just never played for Brazil again. It was really bizarre because he was, like you say, he was still young enough that he should have been there for three, four more, three tournaments, maybe. Yes. And he just sort of fell away from the Brazil squad. It was, it was a shame to see him go that way as well. Yeah. Because he was a joy to watch.
0: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um fabulous player. But yeah, I saw, I didn't realize that. I mean, there's there's a few things in this book that I say brings it all back. Um, but but you learn so much, and one of those I, I wasn't aware of. Into the semi-finals we go. In fact, it was a an all european semi-final matchup. Um, I don't think we've mentioned Italy yet, uh, but they met Germany in the the semi-final, which was a Cannavaro masterclass this game, wasn't it?
1: Oh, this was – I always wanted – if I was ever to play football, I always wanted to be a defender. And I I think this is why Cannavaro in this game, I think it's – I think I described it as it's like he's watched it the night before. He was there for everything. And he was, obviously, he was a smaller defender than you sort of traditionally get as well. He was under six foot. He wasn't a big, physical, imposing defender. But in the first sort of 20 minutes, he'd won like three headers. He'd made interceptions, blocks. He was everywhere. And him and Buffon were that constant in that Italian defence because that changed a little bit through the tournament. And I think Cannavaro just, I think people think he won the Ballon d'Or purely because he won the World Cup. I don't think that's the case. I think if you watch back how he played, I think you can tell that he was one of the best players in the world at that time. It was just he was in the less glamorous position of being a central defender as opposed to a a striker or an attacking midfielder. Yeah.
0: I think it's important to remember that Italy went into these finals off the back of an Italian domestic football scandal, hadn't they?
1: Yeah, it was exactly that. They were... It was completely rocked. There was talks before the tournament, I believe, of should Italy be kicked out because of what was going on back in their domestic game. Everything was sort of up in the air. There was so much going on. The, the outcomes of them, um, trials were not known until after the tournament was done. And I almost think that helped Italy in a way. I think it strengthened their resolve. They were determined to show this isn't about us. This is about what goes on behind the scenes. Mm. We're just, I think, a squad of 23 players trying to win a tournament
0: yeah it's, it's amazing what the the backdrop to to their route to the final because they after extra time they they saw germany off 2-0 um the other semi final saw uh france progress past portugal with a certain zidane scoring there so that led to um an italy france final um a final that had taken place 2 years earlier in the european championships France had a an experienced side, Italy um, were obviously experienced too to get this far, but I mean, the, the final is known for one thing, isn't it? Go on, guide us through the final.
1: I see. It's Zidane's final just yes. the whole way through. I mean, I'd say that it's it's Anne Materazzi's final. He's involved in just as much as Zidane is. There's Zidane's penalty, which again... Not a, shouldn't have been a penalty. Felt a little bit harsh, the call. And a World Cup final, opening 10 minutes, and Zidane goes for a Penenka penalty. <laughs> and whether he means it or not, I think he just mishits it slightly. And it goes in off the underside of the bar, bounces just a little bit over the line. I think only Zidane. And if, if Zidane said he meant it, I would believe him. He was that kind of player, Zidane. And then you've got Matarazzi scores the equaliser. The game sort of settles into a nice rhythm. We go extra time. Zidane almost scores a winner. Buffon with a brilliant save, and then the moment that I think this World Cup, is, I think this World Cup gets overshadowed by this moment. Yes. It makes sense, but this World Cup's better than that moment, and I think it always gets remembered for this moment. But Zidane just turns around, and oh, you don't see it on TV at the that's time. The, yeah, that's the thing. It was it was missed, and I remember watching it thinking.
0: What, what's happened? What are they talking about?
1: Yeah, it's just, you. they go back and Buffon's obviously seen it because Buffon's screaming at the referee, something's gone on. And you, you know something's happened, but you just have no idea what. And then the replays come and it's the most, it, you don't want to glorify it, but it's the most perfect headbutt as well. <laughs> yeah. It's such a, it's, it's not a typical headbutt. It's. I think I've seen an article that was described as like the rutting of a stag. And it's yeah. so true. He, he just leans right in, middle of the chest, and it's just an ridiculous moment. And it leads to, obviously, you've got the pictures of Matarazzi going down. You've got Zidane walking past the trophy.
0: Yeah, that's There's a moment. so
1: many moments that come from it. And whether you believe it or not, it might have been the first unofficial use of video technology in football.
0: That's that's very true, yes.
1: Because ap- apparently the uh, none of the officials saw it. But then the sort the fourth official, I think, saw it on a on a little screen at the side of the pitch, and told the referee something that happened there. And did they deny it? But that's the rumor.
0: It, it could well have happened. It could well have happened. Um, yeah, um, amazing. So it went to extra time, as you say, and it went with um, Italy, obviously winning it. Grosso um, scoring the the winning penalty for the Azurri.
1: Yeah, and it's if this is those last the semi final and final are just his games. It's he like I think just two years earlier he was playing in like the Italian second division and there he was scoring the winner in a World Cup semi final and then the winning penalty in the final, and his reaction to that is what football should be about. There's just pure joy. Yeah. Nothing else matters for him at that moment other than oh my god, what have I just done? And you can see that in his face, and it's that moment is. Beautiful to go back and see because it's easy to get swept away when you, as you you realise what football behind the scenes, all of that sort of stuff. When you see those players on the pitch and the pure joy they have, it brings a smile to your face.
0: Yeah, as I say, it go to YouTube. I say the book has you reaching for YouTube for that moment for Zidane's Panenka when I I read it and I thought, of course he did. He panenked it down the middle and. And whilst I couldn't picture it all, I saw it again, and it, it all came back. Just across the line and out. Um mm-hmm. I mean, audacious. Um, and then, of course, see if for anyone that hasn't seen the uh, the <laughs> um go go and have a look at it all. It's. I mean, we've we barely scratched the surface on on the tournament there, but the book. Scratches the surface; it goes right through to the uh, right through to the bottom of the uh, the barrel. It's it's a fabulous book. It's available through Pitch Publishing, and of course, any any good bookshop. Yeah, really well done on it. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to to add to it.
1: No, just I hope everyone I hope everyone enjoys going back through as much as I did. And it, perhaps if you've never experienced this World Cup go back and enjoy it and relive it the way i sort of hope it's come across in the great joy that it was
0: yeah any plans for
1: another one i get asked this question a lot maybe it's it's committing to the time like you said it's a long it's a long project but there's all you know there's more world cups and more england memories to come so who knows
0: well hopefully uh we'll we'll speak again maybe a, a little while but uh i would i would look forward to to speaking again
1: i i would as well it's been, it's been brilliant to talk to you
0: michael thank you very much thank you Thank you very much to Michael there for his time. You can find him, he's on Twitter, at Michael95Angelo. And also, many thanks to Pitch Publishing. Uh, They're also on Twitter, at Pitch Publishing. The book, Golden Generations, the story of the 2006 World Cup, of course, can be found in any good bookshop or online retailer. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, the Lionesses, uh, they are in action. They begin their inaugural Nations League campaign on the 22nd of September. It's at home to Scotland. That will be followed by an away trip to the Netherlands. I'll be bringing you a preview for that very soon with Rich Laverty. So stay subscribed. Of course, you won't miss it. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers.